Eat Sleep Rock Nashville presents what was and what will always be a tribute to Led Zeppelin live at the OG basement in Nashville on January 12, 2023. Come out for a very special night to honor one of history's most beloved rock bands. Doors at 8.30, show starts at 9. Tickets and additional info available at thebasementnashville.com. Recording in progress. Yeah. 
you just heard the track. It's you can't be trusted, right? That's the name of it. A uh, can't be trusted. Uh, in parentheses, a it's yep. the opening track on the album. Um, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Julian Folco Perone uh, is here. Uh, hey, man, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, you're all the way in Denver, Colorado. Yes. Yep. How long have you lived in Denver for? Um, I've lived in Denver now since 2014. Um, and I kind of, I was originally from Alaska, born up there, made my way down to Denver, kind of found my first band and then, um, now kind of pursuing more of a a solo effort after the pandemic. And yeah, it's just been, just been rolling ever since. So you're from Alaska originally. Yes. Yeah. Born there. What was it like to grow up in Alaska? (laughs) You know, Denver, honestly, I always call Denver like Alaska light because it's just, it's a lot more mild winters, but it's a lot of the same seasonal thing. The the biggest difference with Alaska is there's really only two seasons. It's, you get like a month and a half, two month summer, and then, you know, the rest of the year is winter. That's just kind of what it feels like anyway. But it's, there's really no spring or fall. The changeover is just so quick. Once it starts snowing, it sticks and it's there until... Yeah, it finishes up in uh, in the late spring, early summer. Yeah, my first winter in Colorado, it was it was different than uh, the winters I experienced. I grew up in Maine, and it's okay. kind of the same deal. Like it starts snowing and then it doesn't stop, um, wow. and until it gets all mucky and gross and all of that. But yeah, Colorado is crazy because it has seventy degree days in the winter. Like it, it you'll get a snowstorm next day, seventy degrees. Oh man. Yeah. You're not lying about the swings and weather. I mean, we just recently dealt with that over, it was like no snow on Christmas or anything like that. And then we dealt with lots of snow over the new year. So it's just, you know, it's just in waves. And then you'll have, like you said, some days of 70, 65 and it's really nice out. It's an inspiring place to live. Yeah, I, I enjoy it a lot. I, I think it's a really cool music scene too. And just like the art scene here in general is just, it's really fun seeing all the different, you know, getting Alaska is just a little smaller in a way of like, you know, it's a bigger population, but it kind of feels like, I don't know, Denver is obviously just a little more closer to everything too. And it's just, For yeah, sure. I really like the, I really like the scene here. What is the scene like in Denver these days? Um, Well, I mean, just as the art scene itself is really cool too, with like Meow Wolf out of New Mexico, and they put one here in Denver. So I like seeing like the artist movement. There's a lot of murals, and just everywhere you go, you see different independent art everywhere. And just that to me is really cool. And then as far as the music goes, I mean, it's just. I, you know, I haven't been to a lot of shows lately since the the pandemic kind of wanting to ramp that up a bit. But I mean, everybody's always just really got each other's back. It's just so supportive. Like, that's how it feels to me anyway. It's just it's a it's a great energy. Everybody's like in it together. So I, I just love being a part of that. So is Denver the kind of place that you can gig every night of the week? Like, are there places to go? And can you get paid for it? There's tons of venues like like I'm not. I'm not gigging every night. Um, That's not the kind of thing that I'm doing, but I know people that definitely do that. And they, yeah, you're getting paid for it. There's just so many 
Denver is the kind of place where you're not going to run out of places to play. I'll say that because there's there's a new venues popping up every every especially because of the pandemic. There's a lot of new venues that weren't around even just a year ago, and you know some of them have, have shut down. But uh, yeah, there's always new places popping up. Have you ever been to Wildwood Guitars before? Say that Wild what? Wildwood Guitars. Oh no, I don't think I've heard of that one. Okay, so that's where I worked at when I when I lived in Colorado. It's an incredible guitar store, dude. They have everything there. Oh, like wow. the coolest vintage stuff and then a bunch of stuff from like the custom shop and some of the people who shop there like Steve Miller, um the dude from Rise Against, he came in one time when I worked there. Huh, okay. So, so it's just like a famous famous guitar store, but it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, let me. I'll look it up and just see if it's still up and running. That that's cool. I like seeing the the vintage places or places that have like some of the vintage instruments and gear yeah. like that. Vintage stores in general, like a lot of the, um, a lot of what I wear too is like just vintage clothes and and I I, I keep up with seventies fashion if if you will. That's kind of like a part of what I like to do. So I like. There's a a lot of cool places like that. Actually, have you heard of Garage Sale Vintage? They no. have one. They have one in Nashville, I think, that they're building right now. But there's a couple. I think they started in Colorado, and uh, I actually just did a listening party there for my new album, In My Garden. And yeah, they're, it's like a vintage shop that has uh, old uh, a consignment shop that has clothes. It's got uh, records, cassettes, all kinds of stuff like that. A full bar, um, and I think, like I said, they're opening up one in Nashville. So definitely, I'll have to be on us too. Yeah, I'll be on the lookout for that. There's there's all kinds of cool stuff happening in nashville these days have you visited here before i haven't but it's a place on my list for sure i want to oh, get dude. out there play some shows yeah you would dig east nashville it's okay. your kind of vibe that's that's kind of where like the um the rock scene is here in nashville like the original rock music scene yeah gerard longo from the quinspin that's where he does his podcast oh cool okay nice yeah it's it's great um so your album in my garden what was the influence kind of behind it um it's very it's a very 60s and like 70s sort of influence record um i'd say a lot of beach boys uh paul mccartney and the beatles sort of influence um crosby stills nash in young you know that kind of like that time of of history musical history that what they were writing then was kind of a lot of what i was listening to at the time and a lot of it also comes from um the pandemic we started taking it like gardening as a as a passion as a hobby and dealing with all these plants I, at one point i had like 30 house plants uh, just around the house and we would have our own vegetables that we were growing and things like that so that being around the plants and the life the the vegetation all this stuff it really was pretty inspiring at a time where I wasn't really looking to make music. I was kind of setting things down. I hadn't really touched my instruments in a while and it kind of rejuvenated, reinvigorated that spirit. And it kind of, like I said, fits with that sort of theme of the late sixties, early seventies artists. So it kind of went hand in hand with this record. That's kind of the sound behind it. You can definitely hear the, the Crosby stills, Nash and young influence on the harmonies. Thanks. Yeah, I, I try to put a lot of harmonies. My, my records are always layered with harmonies and guitar harmonies as well. It's just kind of like a thing I enjoy doing. It's I'm the only singer. I, I kind of play all the instruments and uh, 
sing all the vocals for the most part. There's some some musicians that come on and play drums or things like that from time to time. I like to work with other musicians too, but I, that's one of my favorite things is just layering harmonies and sitting there recording as many vocals as I can. And it's just kind of a fun thing. <laughs> so for the writing of this album, are you the kind of person that records everything as you write it or do you write it and demo it first and then go into the studio yeah i i think a little bit of both for sure i like just with the song we just heard at the top with can't be trusted i mean the the whole inception of that was it's a song i kind of had already written and had ready to go but recorded a new version of it for this album and the version i was messing with was this this first version uh, a which kind of stands for acoustic. And then later on, I, I redid the entire song in the, within the same you know session and came up with another version of the song, Can't Be Trusted B, which closes the album. And the B with kind of stands horns. for the... Exactly. It's the brass version, what I like to call it. So you got A and B, it's acoustic and brass, uh, even though the B version still has some acoustic guitars on it. It's not a perfect system, but you know A and B, that's how close I remembered enough. it anyway. Exactly. Close enough. But yeah, it's very like jazz and like... Uh, I'm a, I have a huge like Dixieland influence too. Growing up outside of growing up in Alaska, I grew up in Texas too, like Southeast. Like I spent some time there and really close to a lot of family grew up with that uh, Dixieland jazz influence. Like some of my, my grandparents were uh, in some jazz bands. And so like Louis Armstrong, some of that era, putting that kind of sound on this song is like something that just felt right. So if you listen to the brass version, that's kind of what you're going to pick up is like a jazz Dixieland uh, influence version. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of, I'll write as I go along and, and things will always change. I don't think songs, even like with the demos that I, that I do a lot of stuff I record ends up being completely different on the album. It just kind of how it flows and changes along the way. I'm a bass player. One of the things I love about the album is the the rhythm section it has that ringo and paul feel to it oh cool that, that's awesome to hear yeah i mean that's definitely where a lot of it comes from um and i think a lot of the songs i actually start writing them on guitar or on keyboards but then what will happen is i tend to write the rhythm section next and kind of layer in the bass and the drums and things like that and then i'll strip away the original instrument that i wrote with it on guitar as a rhythm instrument and put it back on as a lead instrument later on or or maybe it you know stays on as a rhythm instrument but like i i put a lot into the bass um and drums and that's probably my the part i enjoy the most at times is writing the, the bass grooves and like just you know being a bass player whenever i'm in in that moment in the studio so i, I kind of wear a different a bunch of different hats between writing and performing and and producing the song so whenever i can hop over on bass that's kind of a one of the fun parts too well bass marries everything together and the, uh, i have a friend teo who described bass to me one time he said it's the producer's instrument mm -hmm. um, i would say both piano and bass are like the producer's instrument because they marry that harmony and that rhythm yeah no that's interesting i i like that i'd never heard that before but i'm definitely a fan of that i think yeah keys for me too is is definitely more so than bass but yeah i see what you're saying with they they, they kind of bring everything together and with keys too there's so many once i learned how to play keys and kind of started messing around with that 
it opened up so much for me as a producer because it translates to really anything with a keyboard. You kind of, you know what you're looking at now and you can kind of change the sound really easily and, and kind of do a lot of stuff within the structure of a, of a keyboard. So yeah, I, I agree with that. When did you start playing keys? Cause that was kind of like a later development for you, right? Yeah. I actually just started playing keys like a couple of years before year or two before the pandemic. Um, and it's something with my last band, I was just kind of singing. Uh, I, I originally came in as a guitar player, but we already had two guitar players. I don't need to really have a third guitar player with what we were doing. So I was like, I'll just sing. Um, and then trying to add in keyboards into the mix uh, towards like twenty eight, late 2018, 2019, that sort of time frame. I was kind of messing with keys. And then the pandemic hit, didn't really touch it for a while and then kind of came back and this kind of re like i said th this album process reinvigorated that that instrument for me and just music in general so I, it's it's been it's been an eye-opener going from writing songs on acoustic to writing songs on you know piano or whatever and uh just being able to bounce between the two i think is as the ultimate tool as a songwriter it's what i was missing was having like a keyboard at my disposal so were you going through a phase during the pandemic where you really weren't doing much music stuff? You kind of alluded to that a little bit. Yeah, I think I I switched a lot to um, I started messing with video production and doing um, a lot of filmmaking uh, with I actually shoot with Super 8 film. So like I have a camera from 1965 Badass. that still works. And yeah, it's original. It's like the first Super 8 camera, essentially, like not the very first one, but it's, you know, it's of that time. And just shooting with film is, was something I was really passionate about and still am. I've used it in a lot of my music videos. Um, and, and that's kind of where it started was like, I want to make videos like the video component to the songs and to the audio. And it had to kind of have this theme and, and film really attracted me the, the aspect of like you can you know it's a physical format you could see the film and and you have to be really strategic with what you shoot and what you're doing because it's you know there's not unlimited takes you know you can buy as much film as you want i guess but it's still a tangible object and that to me was very fascinating and something i wanted to explore more of so during the pandemic i did a lot of shooting with film and you know, but it's it's such an investment too because you're you get the film, you're shooting, and one roll of Super Eight. Okay, let me break this down for you. One roll of Super Eight is about three and a half minutes of footage, and it's about 40, 50 bucks. Oh so shit! Yeah, that's you know not even enough for a music video. Like if you if you shoot everything perfect, you can get a music video out of one roll. But you know you're you're probably going to take two three rolls and have some stuff to cut between, but if not more. And you take that once you, that's just from shooting it, then getting it scanned and developed and processed, all this stuff adds up and it takes time. You know, there's no plants that process it here in Denver. So, I mean, I could, I looked into doing it myself and like actually getting all the chemicals and things like that. I'm like, all right, this is a little too much. So I actually send my film to Los Angeles, get it processed. Um, then they have to send it back to me. That's like a couple week process. I have somebody here who scans it. Um, and, get it back to me digitally so i mean it's like a month 
process at minimum from when I shoot the film to seeing it and like seeing if this works. So, you know, you go all wow. out for this big production and it's going to be like a month before you, you see it and really know if it worked or not. And if you kind of have to scrap with it or, uh, you know, if you got to scrap the idea or, or there's some stuff you can work with. So that to me though, it created like that limitation created such uh creativity i guess just the the limitation within the format it allowed me to kind of play with it and not have to think about a lot you really have to or you just think about things differently when you have that sort of limitation so that is kind of what i wrapped myself up in during the pandemic and then figured out how i can tie the two together and a lot of the videos for this album are with super eight and and they just seem to be a perfect match that's really cool well it like back in the back in the day, there was a process to doing everything. And I think as artists today, we're kind of spoiled with all these digital luxuries, which are great. I don't have anything against it. I'm not I'm not the kind of like musician where I'm like everything uh should be done this way or whatever. I what I do think in terms of music, it does sound better when everybody's in a room and you get a good take. It's more human, but other than that, just the process of actually being able to record is so much easier now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's with every art form is kind of like, I wouldn't say suffering, but it's it's like that becomes the dilemma of like everything is so easy that, again, it's it's not a negative like to have these tools, but when you have a keyboard you know, that has every sound in it. I mean, that's what we have today is you have instruments that can play every instrument and you have samples and loops and people, you know, not half the time, not really writing their own stuff. You're just pulling in samples. I got no problem with samples, but you know, there's, there's ways to use certain things and it's just different tools in your arsenal. But yeah, I, I think there's some truth to like some records back in the day. I mean, they had a guitar, or an A amp, you know, or a couple amps, uh, and one keyboard and or one synth that they kind of did a couple things. And it forced them to not, like I said, kind of with the film, you have to think about it in a different way. You're not thinking so much about what sound am I using and like how to make it sound. And you're just kind of focusing on the song and how to serve the song with, with the tools you have. And I think when we have so much at our disposal, it can kind of cloud the creative process a little bit and give you, you know, too much options is, is definitely a hindrance sometimes. So I, I, I try to work within that mindset too, of like, I'm, you know, I'm not fully recording to tape or anything right now, but it's like a point where I am trying to play, I'm playing the whole song all the way through. And if the take isn't good, I'm not really sitting there and chopping it up. I'm doing it again. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how I like to work. I don't, I don't sit there and punch in, so much like i definitely you know they they even did that with tape so there's nothing wrong with like punching in and overdubs and stuff like that it's all part of the process but yeah i i think it's important to um you just not focus so much on all these different options really just like hone in on on what you're doing so yeah you know it it can be good and bad having everything <laughs> well it's democratized now i think that's the beauty of it and that's also the curse of it today where Anyone can do it, which is great. And then anyone can do it, which is also not great. Because it's, I have, uh, I have friends. I'm thinking of one friend in particular where he always gets upset whenever he sees 
like a hot girl on TikTok and she's singing a song. And I'm like, bro, you just have to accept that's the way it is. There, <laughs> there is no changing it. Like the hot girls are always going to get the attention before dudes with guitars. You know, right. like that's that's just how it is in the hierarchy of human nature. Like, and I'm the, I hate to say it, but I'm the same way. You know what I mean? Like if I see a hot girl playing guitar or a dude who looks like one of us playing guitar, who am I going to listen to first? You know? <laughs> Right. No, I, I think it's funny too that it just so much is, um, you know, regardless of who's creating it too. I think a bigger point with that too is that it's just so disposable these days too. It's so much Absolutely. is coming out. There's so much content. I mean, you you could turn on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, and I mean, there's a new show coming out every day, and you can't keep up with it. There's millions of songs being released weekly i mean i don't know the exact stats but there's just so much coming out it's hard to keep up with and i think it's art is suffering in that way that is it's it's so disposable like there's great stuff being created in every form absolutely there's great film there's great films being made there's great digital art there's you know all of that i mean ai art we can get into that it's a whole nother discussion of like taking over but no i mean i i think if we just had half the stuff we had we would treat it so much more you know indisposable and we would really respect i think and and take take our time in in chewing through it we wouldn't be so fast-paced and like on to the next thing if we just need to slow down i, I really think that's important too of like just you know not being so fast-paced right now and that, that's just kind of the way it is but i think it'll all swing back that's kind of partly my goal too is to kind of help aid in the uh the slowing down the attention to detail like let's really s- just breathe for a second not try to pump out so much stuff and you know I, I think that's important too well there's an audience for that as well you know what i mean like the way the way i always look at at music now whatever i release or whatever i do it's not going to be for everybody mm-hmm. but there's going to be people out there that do dig it look at a band like wolfpack for instance yeah, they're the, to me they're they're the greatest musicians that are alive today that are in the like the twenties to thirties age range, but so much of what they're doing they're they're in, they're entirely independent, and I think even that stems from Jack Stratton having a genius business savvy. He's very intelligent when it comes to marketing. Yeah, the band like every single time they release something like they they just released a new album. Are do you know Wolfpack at all? Are you into that? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm definitely familiar with, with them a bit. Um, I've, I like all the stuff they do and um, yeah, I know they, you said they were putting out a new album. Yeah. It's, it's, it's already out, but like the, the, the videos for the album, cause they always have great videos of them actually playing. Oh yeah. Um, but it's of them in like a sauna and bathrobes. Oh nice. And, and that's like the whole thing, but it, it's, it's like Jack Stratton, the way he does everything. It's, it's very particular. Every single album has a look. And I, I just think he's a really, a really smart businessman. Cause I, I think a lot of musicians, um, th- they have this syndrome where they're wanting this golden hand to come down of the record mm-hmm. label, and right. put it on them and turn their record into gold. That's that can happen. Don't get me wrong, but you yeah. can't count on that happening today. You have all of these resources and it goes back to what we were talking about. It can be very overwhelming from the social media aspect as well. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. No, and that's super cool. Like artists like that who put care into their their branding and their look and their they're very particular with their videos. I mean, that's something I'm exploring more and having fun with is like the promotional material, not treating it as, hey, you know, come listen to this song. I mean, really bringing them in with a story and having it all be a kind of a cohesive look. And um, I'm kind of working on a thing right now. It's like a behind the music thing. It's like a fake in you know documentary about the making of the album and it's just going to be kind of little clips of that but you know it's like that that style of um I, what, what is it uh i can't remember what it's called there's another like it's like a mockumentary type of thing but it's yeah, uh, like, yeah it's the spinal tap sort of vibe i mean it's it's that having fun with it and uh breaking down and, and kind of poking fun at, at producers and production in general so i think people will that that do that kind of work producing and and musicians it will get a kick out of it but yeah i, I think it's fun to have an image and and a, something you're trying to show and something you're trying to showcase within your videos and that cohesiveness yeah, it's all it's all good stuff do you know who chris gaines is have you ever heard that name before i think i've that sounds familiar okay so chris gaines was garth brooks his alter ego when he decided he was going to be like a rock star. So oh, okay. he grew out his hair. Do you remember any of this? <laughs> I don't. That sounds familiar, but I, I don't really remember. It's it's weird as fuck, honestly. Okay. But the reason I bring it up is there was a fake behind the music for Chris Gaines that told the story of his life. <laughs> and it is fascinating because wow. basically he's like, yeah, um, I was born in Australia, then I moved to LA when I was a kid. And then after that, me and my best friend, friend we started a band in, a, in high school and he died in a helicopter accident because he was a helicopter pilot when he was 19. Then, then I was a sex addict. And then after <laughs> that, I got into this car wreck. And the whole thing is just 40 minutes of that. Wow. Look it up, dude. It is <laughs> Garth Brooks seems to me like a true fucking insane person. <laughs> to think that this was a a great idea um b the, the marketing was just fucked and weird he was supposed to make a movie about it about like the chris Gaines story and the whole thing was he released a greatest hits album as chris Gaines. and i will say the songs are pretty fucking good if i'm gonna be honest huh. but they're good that's yeah, so um, his alter ego yeah his alter ego because he was at a point to where and he he is even still doing it today. He sell he's can go anywhere in America and sell out stadiums. Oh yeah, five oh, nights over. A, absolutely, that's kind of it's it's wild to think about too. Like yeah, he's it's weird to think about that level of fame and like people at that like you, you got to be a little crazy, right? You've got to be you know something going on. And and I think he's a prime example of that. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, living in Nashville. It's like you hear different stories about um, different people, and there's not many things that I've heard about Garth Brooks, but he just strikes me as very weird. Anytime he gets interviewed or he's talking to someone, it's it, it reminds me, honestly, he reminds me of Homelander from The Boys. Have you ever watched The Boys? <laughs> no, I, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, well, Homelander, he does this thing where his face is smiling, but his eyes are empty and hollow. Like he's about to crack. Like there's tears welling up in his eyes. And that's what <laughs> Garth Brooks reminds me of. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like, that sounds like a fair comparison. Yeah. Uh, I, I could rant about that all day, but um, <laughs> what have you been watching lately? You, you're, you're a movie guy. So what are you into? 
who were your favorite <clears throat> directors? Is there anything that pops out to you that came out recently? Well, I, I really enjoy just a production company, A24. I mean, the stuff they're oh, putting nice. out is, is oh, yeah. really great. It's very artsy and stuff like that. That's kind of what I enjoy is that kind of stuff of like uh, the independent filmmakers too and, and some of the older um there's a lot of old films actually that that i really get inspired by where they're experimental filmmakers who would actually like take the film they, they shot it on film it's back in the day when that was like the primary format and there's they would do physical manipulation to the film and kind of like chop it up and reattach it in different orders and like that kind of stuff is just super fun I've, I've done a little bit of that with the super eight like messing with music videos with that in mind of like taking stuff and like painting it or like manipulating the film itself. And when you scan it back, you kind of see a whole new light on the film. It's like breaking that fourth wall in a way. It's like, you know, you're manipulating with what people are seeing. So yeah, I mean, I don't have any specific examples of like new stuff coming out like that, but I always enjoy finding new filmmakers who are like pushing the boundaries and like messing with with the principles of filmmaking and messing with with that kind of stuff so i mean that's always fun um and i i did see uh I, i'm always a big fan of uh like true crime as well and like that kind of thing the glass onion movie that came out was kind of nice like seeing like that was kind of fun um it's like the detective did you, did you see that one or hear about that it's like i i know what it is i haven't seen it okay. i heard it was good i mean i've heard mixed reviews on it Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I always disregard when people shit all over something. Cause I'm like, yeah, I got to see it for myself. Yeah. I like the concept better than the, the use of it, I guess. I just like the idea of like, you're watching something unfold and like, if you can pick up on clues, you can try to solve it and that kind of thing. But they kind of, I don't know. I'd say the execution was pretty great, but I'd like to see it, uh, continued to be expanded upon i actually think i heard about this show too called kaleidoscope i haven't started watching it yet but this is the kind of thing i'm talking about is that's like groundbreaking is like you it's a show that you can watch in any order it's episodic but you can put it in any order and it's going to change your viewing experience and you're trying to figure out what actually happened so i don't think there's an actual order to the episodes or maybe the concept is you have to actually figure out what the order is i don't know but it's it's on netflix called kaleidoscope and that is something i'm going to start watching soon uh because that's i actually have the same a similar idea i've had for a long time with an album where i want to make it so you can listen to the album in any which order and it's going to change your listening experience so that's kind of somebody did that with film and i'm, I'm pretty fascinated to see how it turned out do you know who s craig zoller is have you ever heard of him before i don't think so so S. Craig Zoller is is a writer director. He did Bone Tomahawk. He also did uh, Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine, and then Dragged Across Concrete. Okay, but if you're into crime films at all, he he's really like uh, art house meets grindhouse. Yeah. Okay, so hmm. it's kind of super pulpy, but his movies are very artistic and like Bone Tomahawk is a horror movie but it's also a western so it's like a, a cannibal tribe of native americans steal this guy's wife played by patrick wilson kurt okay. russell's in it it's great very graphic fucking violence in all of his <laughs> movies which i i love like i want to watch something that gives me a visceral reaction to it 
Oh yeah, no, I, I I do too. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a gr- was great for that too. It had moments oh, yeah. when it happens. You're just like this is. It goes on for about a minute too long in the right way. I mean, it's it's a good thing. So yeah, I, I like when when things can spark that reaction out of you. No, that's that's cool. I'll have to check that one out. I I definitely appreciate when something. Um, there's another one, A24 uh, Midsummer. Have you seen or heard about that one? I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. Similar sort of thing with just it's kind of tarantino-esque where it just like pulls you along you don't quite know what's really happening until you know and and it's then it kind of brings itself full circle so you know maybe some people aren't into that kind of thing but i i like a movie that keeps you going the whole way and and turns at the end you don't really know what's going on yeah it's nice oh yeah no i that's what i loved about once upon a time in hollywood is the first two thirds of that movie? It's just like a hangout buddy film yeah. about these two guys that are best friends. They're in it, both in a transition in their life, and then that scene where Brad Pitt goes to Spawn Ranch, the mm-hmm. tone of the movie entirely changes. That that is like the closest thing to like an a horror thriller that Tarantino has ever done. That one scene, right. No, I agree that that is the turning point for that movie, too, like you're saying. And yeah, it just it becomes a completely different experience after that. So, yeah, I I enjoy that type of viewing experience. This year, uh, Killers of a Flower Moon is supposed to be coming out. It's Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, Um, but I guess it's I don't know what exactly it's about. It's I think it's about Native Americans getting slaughtered in Oklahoma like Hmm. over oil or something like that maybe like the 20s or the late 1800s but um i'm excited for that i I love scorsese as well yeah no i mean that sounds cool too i didn't they just made another i don't know what there's another cool movie that just came out too we're just talking about movies now but i'm having fun (laughs) i'm enjoying it but yeah there's a there's some good stuff coming out too a lot of it that's the problem is like because of so much stuff is coming out and it's like it is so disposable you miss a lot of these great things because you just can't keep up with (laughs) what's good and what's bad and you you kind of have to do the filtering yourself and that can be stressful too tell me what you think about this okay so i am personally a fan i love all movies whether they're good or bad i think i almost love a bad movie more okay because it takes like usually if I like a bad movie, there was some seed of an idea there. There was something there that just didn't get executed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is about a bad movie. It almost hits me better than even a good movie does. I, I think the worst thing you can make is an okay movie or an okay album. Like you need something good or bad. Like, polarizing isn't a bad thing in that sort of so i'm t- i'm totally with you like there's there's movies that i love that are, because they're so bad that they're they're good like you know what i mean it yeah. passes the point of bad and it's like this is a different thing now um that that is special when you can get to that um yeah i i think it's you know it's it's not a good thing to be in the middle like you, if you can make yeah i know what you're what you're talking about with that like a, a bad film can actually strike you in a different way and become something that it wasn't intended to be. Um, but that there's something to that as well, I think. Well, it's it's something like the uh uh that Tommy Wusseau movie, The Room, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Where where it's it's 
not intended to be the way that it is, but it's still artistic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what I love. Yeah, no, th- there's some great examples like that. There's a lot of like parody horror films, but I don't know if they're meant to be parody. They're just kind of like, they're just so bad that they're good. I I'm, I can't draw on a blank on like specific examples right now. And I don't want to out anybody in particular, but there's some stuff that, once it hits that point, that threshold, it becomes something different entirely. And it's still artistic, like you're saying, and it's it's still in very enjoyable. I did see a great horror movie last year. Uh, the Black Phone. Okay. Did you see that? No, I don't think I've seen that one. So it's actually it's set in Denver. They filmed it in Wilmington, North Carolina, but it uh, it was written by Stephen King's son. It's based off one of his short stories, Joe Hill. Hmm. Um, and Ethan Hawke plays a serial killer who abducts little kids and this one little boy gets abducted and all of the other ghosts of all the other children explain to him what he has to do to get out. It's, it's, huh. it's fucking good, man. I, I recommend watching it just for Ethan Hawke. Okay, nice. And another movie I watched last year, this is actually an old movie. Um, an older movie, but it's um, the house that Jack built. Did okay. you see that? Yeah, I I haven't seen that one. Is this is this a remake of it or um? I thought there was an original. There might. Or be you said a, there's okay. There you watched the older original. One. Uh, well, I watched the one with uh with Matt Dillon, and it's directed by Warner Herzog. Okay. Ten out of ten. Recommend, dude. The the All violence. Right. <laughs> oh my god there was times i had to look away like straight up there's a scene in there i i don't even want to say it it's so bad but really? um oh i gotta watch it, it now it's it's great dude what, the house that jack built matt Dillon, he plays a serial killer he's great and uh like recurring throughout the film fame by david bowie is kind of his theme song it's awesome. oh cool okay nice yeah. i'm actually gonna put that down i'm gonna go, go check it out yeah <laughs> that's and cool then, I, I don't I don't want to give too much away, but the ending is great too. It's it's very it's very open open to interpretation. It gets very cerebral at a certain point. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Absolutely recommend for me. All right. Nice. Yeah, I, I'll have to check that out. We like watching the the true crime and the horror and, and that element too. Like you said, the, the I I like the the gory stuff. I like seeing it because it, it's you know, some of it's gory just to be gory. I think some of it's fun to just, it's just fun to watch. Some of it is. Oh yeah. No, I, I love it too. When an artist, they try and challenge whatever is socially decent at the time. Yeah. I feel like with a lot of music today and there's a lot of music I love today. Don't get me wrong, but there's no like, okay, here's what I'll say. Insane clown posse. If they were a movie, it would be the kind (laughs) of movie that I like because they, in my opinion, they're true artists. Like, I don't really necessarily <clears throat> like their music, but the fact that they are so committed to what they are, I'm into that. <laughs> that's 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 pretty funny. They probably made a movie. I don't know. Probably so. <laughs> so, Julian, where can people find you at? Um, all all my stuff on social media and on Spotify is just at Julian Fulco Perone, just my full name. Um, and yeah, Spotify, 
Apple Music, I'm streaming everywhere. New album I just put out, In My Garden. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, it's very 60s, 70s influence. So if you're into that kind of original artistry and and kind of the analog vibe, a lot of uh, Beach Boys, Paul McCartney-esque sort of stuff, that that's kind of what I'm all about. So yeah, I'd love to love to share my stuff with you guys. Uh, it's all at Julian Fulco Perone is where you can find me. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for joining me. Keep on dreaming, and I'll see you next week.